Hello, everyone. I'm Martin Willis. I'm your host. And this is the Everything Else Show, where I talk about uh, topics that I have an interest in. Tonight is going to be rather different, though. Tonight, um, I've had a few listeners suggest Brock. Uh, thank you as one of them who uh, does a lot of work on the Facebook page, suggested I do this show about what it was like to go through, you know, uh, life-saving surgery. And uh, I was contacted uh, while I was in the hospital right after I had my surgery by my good friend, Mark D'Antonio, who uh, went through quite an ordeal years ago, uh, really serious. He's gonna be talking about that tonight and also was saved and he's here right now. And uh, Mark, how are you? I'm glad okay. How are you, Martin? Great. Glad yeah. glad you can make it. I'm glad we're both here. I'm glad we can both make it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really, uh, I, I, I've said this before, if it wasn't, for, if this, what happened to either one of us happened, you know, a, a few decades ago, neither one of us would be here. No, not at all. In fact, um, you know, it, it's not the first surgery I've had. I mean, I, I had right. one. Yeah. Gosh, uh, when I was nine, I had one when I was 33 and I had another one when I was 55. So it's yeah. not pretty, you know, it's, it's not pretty, but but it keeps us going. It so, did work. Yeah. 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 So what I thought we'd do is uh, I'd, I'd like to talk about the adventure on the way there, uh, first of all. And uh, I'll, I'll talk I'll talk about myself and what I went through, and then I'd like for you to share what you went through. Now, you've had this surgery so many times, um, so I don't know which one you'd want to pick is the time, you know, leading up to the surgery, or maybe it doesn't even work in this type of situation. But yeah, um, I, I think that in my case, I think that the most recent one probably says it all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we'll do that one. Yes. Well, you know, I, I, I got to tell you, I remember when that was going on, and I kept emailing you and I didn't hear back from you, which was very unusual. You know, you usually respond right away. And uh, then uh, then I heard about it through Alejandro Rojas that uh, you had this major surgery. Oh, Mark is gone. I don't know what happened to Mark. So I'll just wait. <laughs> I'll wait for him to come back. But meanwhile, I'll just I'll just uh, you know, this is a, a time where I'm going to be uh, kind of bearing my soul here on, you know, things that happened and, and uh, you know, what it was like to go through this whole situation. I wouldn't want to wish it on my enemy. Mark is back. Here he is. I don't know what happened, but you're back. That's all that counts. And yeah. my <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you're here. So uh, starting with myself now, um, I realized, I never realized how much denial that I really had, but I had some serious denial and it, I'll start back, uh, I think it was around the 20th of August this year, I was down on the Cape with my friend and uh, I was down there and um, I started getting chest pain and then my left arm hurt. And I always heard that, you know, that's a, a sign of a heart attack. So, but the strange thing is, this is, this is a part I don't like to admit, but uh, I thought it was indigestion and uh because and this is the part i hate to say because if i burped there i said it um it would go away so it and it happened like repeatedly but one day i started thinking about it it happened about like three or four times and one day 
I was thinking about it and talking to my friend Don and I said, I think I really should go. And my son was visiting, um, you know, but I said, I think I really should go to the hospital and just get that checked out. So I went into the Cape Cod hospital and when you, there was a big long line in the emergency room. And as soon as I said, uh, chest pain, they pushed me right up into the front and uh, did an EKG on me immediately, didn't see anything. And I have this really very low heartbeat. Um, this is, uh, see it's right there, 46 uh, per minute. I've always had that uh, very low. As a matter of fact, I set off a lot of alarms um, when I was in the hospital because my heartbeat is so low. Um, and usually uh, sometimes it's because uh, um, of an athlete, which I'm not, or um, it's just genetics. So anyway, and I never thought I'd have any trouble with my heart at all. You know, I mean, just, I just thought, you know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, so I was in total denial. So they did every type of test. You could do an MRI, um, all these different types of tests. And then they said, uh, we really can't find anything. We, you know, maybe it is indigestion, you know, but you probably should, we probably should admit you. This was about like three or four in the morning probably should admit you and do a stress test. So I said, nah, it's probably just indigestion. I'm going to go. And they, they fought me on it. And I had to sign a paper. And if I only had listened, you know, that was my, my mistake. So, um, so time goes by and it kind of comes and goes and I'm feeling okay. And, um, and then in, in the meantime, I, uh, I have an estate sale and I'm lifting furniture, like here's, I put this in the back of my car, it's oak, and I carried it up some stairs, and I have this big estate sale, and I'm carrying furniture, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I had all, uh, I was just really pushing it, and, you know, working up a sweat, and all this, and no chest pain, nothing, but a couple of days later, I went um, up to, um, Rangeley Lake in Maine, and all of a sudden, I, I had a lot of trouble. So uh, as time went on, I, I went into the emergency room again up here where I live in Rockland, Maine, and I went in the emergency room, and they kept me all night, and they couldn't find a single thing. So they they sent me home, and they said, well, let's let's get a stress test. So I kept having this pain, and it was going into my jaw and my arm, and as well, so I went to my doctor and I told him, you know, what was happening. And I said, I really think it's, you know, a gastric situation. And meanwhile, I have omeprazole, I have uh, uh, Pepto-Bismol, you name it, everything you can possibly think of trying to cure my heart situation. <laughs> so I, uh, I uh, went to my doctor and I'm talking to him and I describe everything to him. And he said, well, you know, the pain's radiating to your jaw. It's radiating, radiating to your left arm. He said, nine times out of 10, it's heart. So let me get this stress test. You know, it was already booked, but it was like two or three weeks out. And he said, let me book this stress test and put like a priority on it. So you're getting quicker. And I said, okay. And he says, in the meantime, I want you to go to the pharmacy and pick up some nitro. And the next time you have that chest pain, take one of those. And if it goes away, you can pretty much say that, you know, you have an issue. 
So um, I was doing an appraisal up in Maine uh, two days later, and all of a sudden I had this. Uh, right in the middle of the appraisal, I had this chest pain when I was reaching up for something. And so I went out to the car, excused myself, went out to the car and took a nitro and it went away instantly. That's when I realized, you know, I'm, I may have a problem. So um, may have a problem. <laughs> yeah. So may have a problem. Right. Right. So this stress test is scheduled for the Friday. And this is like that was Saturday. It's scheduled mm -hmm. for the next Friday. Mm -hmm. So. Um, I go through that weekend and it was either Monday or Tuesday. It was, it was, uh, went, no, it was Monday night. It was Monday night. Um, and right here behind me, I was standing right there behind me and, uh, I was getting a, a camera ready for, I was going to do, uh, Randall Nickerson's, um, his, uh, premiere, uh, at the theater uh, a round table. I had all that planned and I had Shag Harbor planned another a con a conference. So I was all set to do that. And I was working on the camera, not doing anything strenuous. And all of a sudden it came on seriously uh, where I called my friend Donna and I said, I don't know if I'm going to make it. So she said, hang up and call 911. And I said, well, I was being a little bit stubborn. I said, well, I took a nitro and uh, I'm going to drive because it's going to take the ambulance forever to get here. And it's only 15 minutes away. I'll drive. So she stayed with me on the phone the whole time there. Yeah, and I'm sure she would. Yeah. And I made it. I, I made it there. And so they kept me overnight. Uh, the the uh, emergency room doctor said, look, this is the third time. You're in an emergency room. We're keeping you overnight and <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, probably admitting you. So they kept me overnight and uh, it was a terrible, you know, the emergency room mattresses are like rock, you know, so it was real, uh, no sleep at all and very cold for some reason. And so uh, they had me scheduled for the uh, for Friday. So I had basically I was admitted. Um, into the hospital until I had the stress test and they ran every other single type of test you could possibly imagine even ran the dye through me and everything and so I finally get to the stress test on Friday morning and the cardiologist is reading through all of my reports and everything and then I heard him say and there was a curtain between us and I don't think he knew that I was either there or could hear him and he said well we're going to be sending this one home there's nothing here so he, he gets me on the stress test and uh, I, I go, I said, yeah, I can go run whatever you want me to do. So I'm getting up to my heartbeats at 140 and all of a sudden I feel like a crushing in my chest and my throat is hurting of all things. And uh, he screams, holy, you know what? Stop. And he stops the treadmill and I was supposed to do another dye test. And he says, you don't need any more tests. Uh, you have a blockage and it's bad. So uh, you are going to Portland, Maine, Maine Medical, and you're going to have a heart cath, catheterization of the heart. So I uh, so I went there, Mark, and I'll let you talk. And just I'm getting right close to, you know, the when it all happened. But so anyway, I'm nervous about that. And I talked to people like, uh, oh, you know, they go in through your 
artery in your arm or your leg and they go up and with dye and they go up and they film everything and see what's going on up there. And then if they can, they're going to put a stent in. And that's what they said they'll most likely do is put a stent in and I'll be all set. And it's not even painful or anything. So I was still nervous about it, but I went in and they said, you may not even remember anything. And, uh, but you're going to be conscious. So I said, okay. So they put me on the table. They give me this, whatever it was. And, uh, I am just like floating, you know, it's like, Ooh, like that. And so then all of a sudden I'm being put back on the table and I said, wait a minute, when are you going to do the procedure? And they said, we already did. <laughs> and uh, I had missing time. And they uh, they said, uh, I'm afraid you're going to have to have open heart surgery. So and uh, it was explained. I had this great doctor. He came in and explained everything to me. And basically what I had was called the Widowmaker. And uh, other people, when I told them what it was, it's the uh, LAD, the left anterior descending artery was 95% blocked. And what usually happens is, uh, you know, people can just drop and die right there uh, by having this. So I met the doctor the uh, that was going to do the surgery. He was a great guy, a really big guy. And, uh, you know, you, you come to find out they stitch these little threads that are like the thickness of your hair uh, when they're grafting uh, your artery. And this guy had these huge hands, you know, and I'm thinking, how could he hold that needle? And, you know, but he was great. I, I had full confidence in him. And then um, so I was scheduled for that open heart surgery. And uh, and while I was scheduled, it was it was uh, that was, I think, a Tuesday. And meanwhile, I you know, I got Dean involved in doing my other show and all that. And I uh, was waiting for the surgery and I'd have these problems, the angina really bad where it was, it, and, and I just, you know, would hope it would pass and I get the nitro and all that. Then I was scheduled for uh, Friday morning, first thing at 5 a.m. And the doctor said Friday night he was going to a concert and uh, so I'm thinking, oh, God, I hope it's not delayed or anything because he'll be uh, coming back from a concert if he does it on Saturday. So sure enough, they didn't have enough ICU uh, units. So I had to be delayed one day and he, he basically came in on his day off. But uh, so that day that just before um, I had such a serious um, I thought it was a heart attack. I wasn't. I was told that there was no damage to the heart, thank God, but it was the most scary and painful thing. It was like an anvil on my chest and it scared the hell out of me. And all I kept thinking was I was supposed to have surgery that morning and I wasn't going to make it. Uh, and needless to say, I did, I made it. And uh, I'll talk about the surgery later. <laughs> and Mark, it's your turn. So. What led you up to your last time in the hospital? Well, first of all, what was your condition to begin with? Uh, I had a congenital defect in one of my heart valves. And when I was nine, they did what's called a valvulotomy. They were able to widen the aortic valve. I mean, that's the main valve in the heart. Um, Ooh. I mean, they're all important, but the aortic valve is very important, you know. And um, by widening it, they they gave me some years, okay? Um but uh, 
I was the kid in school who could not take gym because of the heart. I couldn't run track because of the heart. I couldn't play football because of the heart. I was always the because of the heart, because of the heart all my life. It's like, uh. hmm. So when I was 34, finally, uh, I had another procedure where they had to replace the aortic valve with an artificial valve. That's what they said. And I said, I'm not going to do that. This was at Yale. And I told the Yale doctor, I am not going to put an artificial valve in me. Okay. And uh, he said, well, that's what we do here. A very arrogant tone. And I said, and I literally looked at him without batting an eyelash. And I said, well, that's not what you're going to do to me. <laughs> and I, I, I fired him as my doctor and I went to another doctor. And uh, good thing I did because, um, you know, at that time, my father had had the same problem and he had surgery and at, at Hartford Hospital. But after the surgery, they accidentally infected his artificial valve they put in Oof. and it killed him. Um, oh, my God, and, that's awful. And so a year to the day later, literally, <clears throat> I had to have the same surgery. Oh. So they arranged for me to have the surgery with the surgeon that taught all of them how to do the proper procedure. And they actually uh, got flown out to Oklahoma City. I met with this surgeon and great guy. I mean, they're all cowboys out there. That was my impression. In fact, one of the surgeons had a cowboy hat on, you know, and I was like, oh, that's cool. He goes, hey, make help us help us think. And they put on country music and they're going to town. It's like, okay. <laughs> Well, after that, I came back, and um, that was good until I was 55. But the reason it would, didn't go longer is because I ended up getting um, an infection. Now, um, the problem is uh, you have a lot of bacteria in your body at all times. Hmm. Some of it can get into the bloodstream. And there's many avenues it can go. It can go in through the eyes. It can go in through the mouth. It can, it can get into your bloodstream in a variety of ways through a cut. Um, we'll never know for sure. I think it was because of a dental procedure. Uh, mm -hmm. But I ended up getting uh, an infection on one of my heart valves, the pulmonary valve, the pulmonic valve. And uh, it was strep. It wasn't a staph infection. It was strep bacteria. Mm. And that says it came from the mouth. Hmm. So most likely it was a dental procedure that caused it. And uh, I still had, I had taken the uh, appropriate pre-medication and it's, it's literally, um, it literally basically didn't do anything in this particular case. So I ended up with infections on that valve and in my aortic valve. So, uh, I had two valve infections, so they had to give me an IV line, which I had to, you know, use. And, and every day, I had to give myself an injection of IV antibiotics through this tube that was permanently attached to my body for a period of time, six weeks. And uh, it was <clears throat> an extremely powerful antibiotic, and it managed to kill the infection, but there was a hole in the pulmonary valve. Okay. And this hole in the pulmonary valve ended up eating away at the pulmonary valve, causing a hole in the sidewall of the heart. And that was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And for those out there that understand these things, the, my PR interval was actually growing, which means that uh, the electrical signals coming from the heart for that valve were getting longer for this one particular part of the beat. And that 
was dangerous. Mine was over 200 and much further than that. And the the valve was going to stop functioning and Mm. I would stop functioning. So they said, uh, looks like we're going to have to do surgery. And I was like, well, I'm in Connecticut. Who's who can do the surgery? That's a very specialized repair. There's only one guy, (laughs) one surgeon that can do this. Really? Yeah. Who's that? It just so happens he's at Mount Sinai in New York City. I said, he's two hours away. That's right. That's why we're pulling the ambulance around for you right now. Mm. And you're going to get in and you're going to Mount Sinai in New York City right now. Mm. I went, okay. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) another fun adventure. Yeah. What choice do you have? There is no choice. Yeah. Yeah. So I got there and I met with him and I said to him, you know, we talked for quite a while, actually. His name was Paul Stelzer. Um, a stellar human being. Um, mm. As we, we always talk about the surgeons that save our lives as being stellar, but this man yeah. in particular was pretty amazing. I did some research on the guy, started looking him up and seeing how he was uh, really had a heck of a sense of humor. He was really a, a great guy, still is. And um, so Dr. Stelter said to me, um, we normally would wait a few days, but you don't have a few days. Mm. I, I said to him, I go, I understand that. You know, I said, listen, I'm an astronomer. I'm a science guy. You're a cardiothoracic surgeon. Speak openly and honest with me. You don't have to candy coat anything with me. I said, deal. And I shook hands with him. He says, yes, deal. Okay. So that's when I went into the surgery. And um, the, actually the following morning at 5 a.m. I remember the pre-op ward. It looked like it looked like, you know, uh, it looked like The Walking Dead huh. when when uh, he wakes up, uh, you know, Lincoln, uh, the uh, the actor, he wakes up, he looks around and nobody's around. Everybody's gone. You know, there was nobody. There was one light on and it was over my bed. There was nobody else in this pre-op ward. And then he the doctor came out and, and he, he yells across the room, hey, Mark, we're almost ready for you. Okay, no problem, Dr. Stelzer. I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and uh, that's the last I remember of my, my re, uh, reality before all this. Um, mm. And I didn't remember going in. I'm sure I did. I'm sure I had a conversation because I was awake. Um, but um, the anesthesia has a way of removing your memory. Now, it's still locked in there. And mm. there's probably mm-hmm. ways to get it out. So I can remember them probably playing catch with my heart or something. I don't know. You know? <laughs> but the uh, bottom line was um, uh, he did the surgery. And for me, it was obviously, I don't remember being put under. But I remember that uh, when I woke up, I realized I wasn't awake. You know, mm. so that that's. And that's part two of this, right? I mean, so um, the need was to, to fix the hole that had occurred. And to do that, they had to replace both valves. So I got human valves, wow. and I had human valves before. So I have two more human valves now. Wow. Um, so that's 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 the, you know, why it happened for me. Wow. And I, I know the, the rest of your story gets pretty, pretty wild. And uh, you- uh, you have a heck of a story too, my yeah, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, yours is something. Well, uh, you know, mine is, it's funny, they call it uh, cabbage. Um, 
it's it's uh, coronary arterial uh, bypass what? graft. Yeah. Oh. So it's like a nickname is called cabbage. So you know, a cabbage head, and they uh, they have these uh, these online support groups, and um, so I'm going to talk about because a lot of weird things happen as well. Um, but so um, waiting for this the surgery and um i just want to i want to read something i can't really remember if this was before or after the surgery but um as you know mark they really don't let you sleep in the hospital so what i did is uh i i I, it was like night after night of no sleep so i decided one night i'm going to document this and and that's what i did so i have a printout right here of my actual uh, text. I text myself um, every every uh, every time I woke up. So just to keep track of everything. So uh, 10, 20 p.m. I went to bed. Now I had, a room, and I had several roommates. My last roommate was really great. We're still in touch. He's actually watching the show this evening. Uh, but, and how you doing, Rick? But, um, I had some real, real characters. The first roommate I had um, was, he had some major problems and he was, kept pulling out his IV and he kept uh, singing and laughing. He wouldn't stop laughing. And this was my first introduction to Maine Medical and my, my roommate. So I had to get the hell out of there. So I called my friend who was a social worker, I said, how do I get out of this room with this crazy person? And they said, say that you feel anxious. And I did. And boom, they moved me out. And uh, oh, that's, that was, I didn't never get that option. <laughs> well, so I had these different roommates and they were, except for my last one, they were all very memorable, um, not in a good way. So my last one, oh, I mean, this one in particular, I'm talking about, he was absolutely deaf and he refused to wear hearing aids. He was from the northern tip of Maine, right on the border of Canada, and was down there for, for a heart issue. And uh, so I went to bed at 10.20 and 11.30, the roommate next to me, um, he would beep, you know, uh, for the nurses. He would, you know, the call button, he'd push the call button. And they'd answer, they go, hi, may I help you? And there was dead silence because he couldn't hear them. So he'd push the button again. Hi, may I help you? So finally I piped up and said, "Um, can you come in here? He must need something. So they would would come in and, you know, he'd have to get a big production to get up to use the restroom or whatever, you know. So uh, 1.30, the his bed alarm went off. So he obviously got out of his bed. They had to have an alarm on it, you know, to make sure he didn't get out. So that was 1.30 a.m. So I got a little bit of sleep between 11.30 and 1.30. 2 a.m. they came in to take my vitals. Uh, 2.30 they came in to change the battery and my heart monitor. Um, 3.20 the IV machine started beeping. They came and fixed it. 450 for some reason they felt that was the time to come in and weigh me so i had to get up out of bed and get weighed 
510, uh, they put the roommate on the toilet again. And uh, he was yelling a lot. And uh, so 5.30, they decided to give me a meprazole, which I never really needed. That was for gastric issues. Yeah. Um, 6.05 was the first announcement on the PA. 6.26 was vitals. 6.40, the old uh, roommate was hauled away for an operation. Uh, they left the door wide open. Everyone's yelling and walking by right by the nurse's station. So I got up. To have to close the door seven o'clock nurse shift change they come in and introduce themselves and all that i'm like please just let me sleep that was 703 710 i had to get up and close the door after the new nurse uh even though i asked her if she'd please close the door 720 they came in to draw blood a couple of pokes they got that 732 the nurse student came in and uh she was very very ambitious and kept coming in. Um, so that was it. That was like a typical night. It was like, I don't even think you could get an hour sleep, you know, an hour, hour and a half sleep. So, wow. uh, yeah. So, uh, so going up to the, uh, I think I'll bring us up here, going up to the uh, surgery. So uh, that's where I, I kind of left off. So I, I'm going into the surgery and I just say, well, I have no choice. You know, this is, it's either this or, or I'm going to have this terrible chest pain and die. So I just put, you put your trust totally into this, this hospital, the surgeon, all the medical people, you just put your, you have no other choice. You have to put all your trust mm -hmm. in them. That's right. So uh, I went, I went under, I, I had met one more time with the, the doctor and I felt very comfortable with them. And so I went under and the next thing, you know, I'm coming to and, uh, you know, burning, burning chest of, of course. Um, and then I'm like in such a hallucinative state. I can't, I don't even know how to describe things. And, uh, I'm on the ventilator and they have a, a tube in my stomach and a ventilator. Now the ventilator, I feel so sorry for these people that had COVID that had to be on the sink because it just, it goes, just pushes the air in you and it forces you to breathe in and breathe out. So I'm trying to get a hold of the tube and I realize that I'm strapped down. They strap you down so you can't pull the tube out because I guess a lot of people want to do that. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to do anything I can to get the attention of someone. I'm winking my eyes and when they walk by and stuff like get the tube the hell out of me. It's awful. I couldn't stand the ventilator. Then I started having these hallucinations and i know this is where you're going to talk uh about the things that happened to you too so i had these hallucinations and uh one is so wild it's it's like for me to admit it publicly it's uh it, it's it doesn't make any sense uh i <laughs> i grew up my father had an upholstery shop and and in the upholstery shop there were several bolts of bolts of fabric on end they're like rolls of fabric on end in these boxes. Well, I'm like floating over and I see these boxes and then I'm going over to the box. And all of a sudden I realize that I'm here's, here's where it's absolutely nuts. I'm one of the bolts of fabric. I became, or I was one of the bolts of fabric in the box. That was one of my hallucinations. It makes absolutely no sense. And that's why 
I was hesitant to talk about it, but I did anyway. And the, the other hallucinations or weird dreams, I guess you have, and I've had a ton of those since this, but the other things that I had while I was in recovery uh, was that I would be, I was in a house where I grew up in, yet I was in a little tiny box where I couldn't move out of. And I kept having those type of things because I was restrained, basically. I think that's why I was having those. And then finally they came and pulled out the ventilator tube and the stomach tube. And that's a, something you never really want to feel either. And once they did that, they sat me up. And next thing you know, my friend Donna is sitting right next to me. And she said I was like talking coherent, but I, I had no idea what I was saying. She did tell me that I asked her several times, am I saying bad things? Because I didn't know, didn't know what I was saying. And I guess I had a sense of humor too, but in recovery, it was really, really bizarre. I'm going to just talk a little bit about that. Um, the first, the first night there, um, uh, when they put me into like this bed from the chair, I had, I had tubes in my neck and my chest and, and my stomach. And I looked behind me and there were all these wires and cables and all these things I just couldn't believe how much was hooked to me. They put me in this bed and the bed, the bed moved constantly to, I guess, to stimulate you or something like that. I couldn't sleep. And uh, it, it was, it was quite awful. And they had a, the charge nurse for that night um, was extremely loud and laughing. And so I kept asking, I had a, a male nurse at night and he was good as gold. He was such a great guy. And I kept thinking, and I would say this right from the get-go in recovery, that I can't go to sleep because if I do, I'm going to, I'm going to die. I'm going to stop breathing. I had that so stuck in my mind that that was going to happen, that I was afraid to go to sleep because I knew I'd stop breathing. And so the, uh, the nurse kept assuring me and he said, look, I'll, I'll stay right here. And I said, it doesn't matter. That woman just keeps laughing and yelling. And, you know, so, um, he would go out and tell her to please, you know, be quiet. And she would, that would last for about an, an hour and should start up again. So I never got a wink of sleep that night, basically thinking that I was going to die. And then, uh, because I thought I'd start breathing and then, you know, it's a slow, slow recovery from there on out. Um, you know, I had some great people come visit me and, and give me a lot of support. And uh, it's been really great. I'll just go quickly into, uh, I became, I think, you know, they say you go through a lot of different things. And one of them is, uh, you know, uh, depression, which I didn't really go through. I'm really lucky that I didn't go through. I feel nothing but grateful that I'm alive. <laughs> And but one thing I will tell you is uh, I've never been more emotional in my life. Uh, when I was let out of the hospital, I just I looked at the beautiful day and I just and my son picked me up and uh, and I got in the car and I just here's my son right here. Um, he came and stayed with me at seven. He came and stayed with me for um, about a week after and. Uh, uh, like I said, I, I was just so grateful to see the sunshine and to know that I made it. I really made it and that I have the future in front of me. And uh, and this is what they did. Uh, this is where it was blocked before. 
right here on uh, on the left side of your screen. And then this is basically the graph they made. And they used uh, uh, an artery from inside the rib cage, so I didn't even have to have um, any leg you know, graphs from my leg or anything. That's cool. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I am totally grateful. I have been, I'm still a little bit emotional. And I have, I don't know if this happened to you, Mark, but you know, when they put you on the, the heart and lung machine, they have this thing called uh, pump brain. And have you ever heard of that? Where you, no. you can't remember things and you, you know, you, you space oh. out for a while, you know. Uh, but they, they do call it pump brain. And um, anyway, I think I'm getting through that. I had a Dean do my show for a while because I kept losing words. And, uh, and anyway, I remained absolutely grateful every single day. The only thing I really don't like is I'm on Metropolo. Polizo, I can't remember. Do you know Met what it is? Metropolo. Metropolo. Thank you. I, yeah, yeah, that's that's I mean, a Archie blood pressure Bunker. regulator. Yeah, but that has yeah. given me the craziest dreams. I have never dreamt such weird dreams in my life. As <laughs> you should be copying them down and writing them down. Oh yeah, yeah. Some of them are just just crazy. They're they're called trouble mares. They're not mm. nightmares, but you just can't like you're trying to reach someone. The phone doesn't have any numbers on it, or <laughs> you you try to get somewhere. Your boat is sinking. I had that happen. Uh, all these I, different I, things. I, I had one where I had to um, while on Metropolo, I had to um, solve a triangle. I was inside this triangle and had to solve it mathematically with no information to solve it. <laughs> And Sounds like something that would be thrown your way. It's maddening. It's just maddening. Yeah. But I, I realized, you know, I'm, I'm a lucid dreamer, so I can kind of take charge sometimes. You can control it gets your dreams? Yeah. A little bit, yeah. I, I've been doing it since I was a kid. It's weird. Yeah, my and, son uh, does so, too. Yeah. And so I ended up um, just basically saying, I don't like this triangle. Give me a right triangle. I can fix that. I can do that. <laughs> so I got a right triangle. I did solve it, and I got out. I mean, that, you know what I mean? So it's weird. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the dreams are just, I mean, like, I don't even know, need to watch TV. I mean, they're just so, uh, they're so bizarre and so vivid, like I've never had before. So yeah. what, uh, so let's hear, I know you had uh, quite, you went through quite an ordeal. Um, so why don't you, why don't oh, you talk okay. about and, the rest of it? Yeah. Yeah, it's not a big deal. I, I say it's not a big deal. Um, you have to understand, I knew um, when I was waking up after the surgery, I knew I was going to be all right. Um, and yet I knew that I was actually at that point, um, unable to move and profoundly blind. And that was because during the surgery, a clot got away from them, uh, from the pulmonary area, went to the heart, I'm uh, sorry, went to the brain, blew up and gave me eight major strokes on the operating table and no one do it uh, so when they went to wake me up mark's not waking up in fact his body's bloating what's going on um they told my family i was not going to make it and um and the problem is that i actually was in a coma and they're telling my family this while i'm there and i hear the doctor over here saying well at best we think he'll be a quadriplegic and blind gasp gasp from the family over here and inside, I'm going, no, I'm going to be fine. Don't worry about that. I, I can fix this. So what type of coma were you in where you could actually hear? 
Is there uh, that's, a term that's for the, it? Yeah, it's called impossible. That, that in fact, no one, <laughs> no one at the hospital will believe me, even though I relayed their their conversations word for word. Um, hmm. yeah, um, it was medically induced because they thought I was going to not survive. Hmm. Um, and they said my brain activity was very low, but I can promise you. Well, that, that's typical, though. Yeah. Yes, but I. <laughs> for me. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I did have brain surgery too. That was 28 years ago now. I had to put oh. one in. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. yeah, I did. Look, there's a scar right there. You can see. Oh, my God. We're going to have to do that after I have another show after I have brain surgery. I know, right? Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, so I'm in this coma, but I'm wide awake. And I'm as awake as I am here. I'm as conscious and able to function as much as I am here, except I couldn't move. I couldn't see. Um, so I was ahead in the jar what it was because i couldn't feel any body i couldn't feel my body at all in any way wow. and that was because of the strokes um my brain looks like swiss cheese i actually have a cd here with the cat scan on it and my visual center is literally all but gone i mean it's back here and it's, it's all black um and i was uh, judged to be profoundly blind and then um i said to, to myself hearing them say that i said i'm gonna fix that i can fix that I don't know what it was, but in that state, you're in better touch with your body and what's going on. And I could almost feel the spare parts in there that I had. And I could almost feel that I was going to have to train them to do new things. I could almost feel that. Hmm. And I realized we all have this. This isn't just me. This isn't Mark. This is everybody. Um, and uh, so I ended up uh, talking to um, – uh, some people like I got out of the hospital after 22 days as a quadriplegic and blind. And they brought me to a rehab hospital. First thing the doctor says when you walk, well, I got to actually tell you, you know, there's more during this, uh, about the operation, but I did have some nightmares from the anesthesia, but I knew they were nightmares. You know, I knew they were nightmares um, and brought on by the conditions and everything else. Um, I remember um, when I got to the rehab hospital after 22 days at Mount Sinai in New York City, I remember being brought in in the middle of the night, put in a bed. And the first thing they did was say, "Uh oh, that's not a trach that we support. And I had a tracheotomy at that time. So they were going to change it right there in the spot. It was 1130 at night or so. It was dark. I guess it was 1130. I don't know. I couldn't see. And I heard him say, uh, you know, that uh, we're going to have to change it tonight. And all right, so the doctor comes over and he starts playing with this. It's hurting like hell. Oh. And he pulls it out. Oh. And I can't breathe now because it's all closed up. So I'm going, oh my God. So he takes another one and I hear him unwrapping it. And I'm thinking, I'm going to die before this thing gets in. And I said, come on, man. And he finally puts it in and it hurts like hell going in. Oh my God. And then they stitch it to my chest. Okay. And you can feel this pain? I can feel all that but i couldn't move and i couldn't respond and i couldn't you know i couldn't oh. do anything nothing worked God. yeah so i was like a rag doll nothing and i couldn't even see them um i could just hear hmm. and so um they got it there and and that was fine and then in the morning they come in and the nurse comes in and she has this long tube and she's approaching and she sticks it down in the hole and she does what hmm. they, they had to suction it so they pull out junk in there Every time they did that, it was like a spider inserting fangs into your chest. 
and sucking out your insides. That's how I likened it. Uh, and uh, so it was like, it's like, oh, it's disgusting and gross. Mm. Um, so uh, that that ended up um, uh, being something that I learned to actually look forward to because I would after a while I could start to feel that I was having difficulty breathing and I knew I needed to be suctioned. Um, and when the nurse would come in with that thing, I was like, Oh, good. And I, I mean, I couldn't say that and I couldn't, you know, see her. She would come in and say, okay, we're going to suction you now. And I go, oh, okay, good. And she would do it. And I'd be fine. You know, oh, that's a great feeling after it's done. You know, it's hmm. 10 seconds of hell for, you know, four hours of easy breathing. Well, anyway, hmm. um, uh, so once uh, I got to the rehab facility and the, the first thing he did was the doctor comes in in the morning and he says, hello. He goes, I'm Dr. Soltis from the rehab hospital, you know, hospital for special care in New Britain, Connecticut. Uh, wonderful people, you know. Um, in fact, when I was done, I gave my walker and the cane that I usually give it all back to them. I gave it to them because, you know, I had to buy it all and I gave it to them. Um, the, um, the doctor says, uh, you see, you've had quite an assault on your brain. Um, I couldn't see him, but I could hear him. And he walks close to the bed. He's about, I would guess, four feet to my side. Okay. And he says, well, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be here with us for eight to ten weeks. And then <laughs> you're going to need about a year or two of recovery at home to get back your full motor skills if you can. I see based on the assaults that you've had. That that's probably going to be somewhat limited, but we're going to try and help you the best we can. Hmm. And I'm thinking, well, that doesn't work for me. This was <laughs> June 15th of 2015. Hmm. And uh, the next day they pulled the trach out and I could have no, they get rid of the trach. And when I got rid of the trach, the doctor came in and I said, eight to 10 weeks, you know, and then a year or two, he goes, yes, he goes, uh, you've had, at that time, they thought four to six strokes. It was actually eight. Hmm. Uh, he said four to six strokes. Uh, yeah, you know, some people die with one stroke. You survived with four to six. So uh, I would say you're pretty lucky. And I said, yeah, I, I, I guess that's true. Um, but you have to understand, um, it's June, right? Yeah, he said June, June. It was that time. It was like June 16 or 17. He said June 16, and I said June 16, right? Yes. Um, in September, middle of September, I have to speak in Los Angeles at a conference. It was a MUFON <laughs> conference, Mutual UFO Network conference. Okay, I was one of the speakers, and I heard him gasp, and he walks over to me, leans close so I could feel the heat from his face, and he goes. Uh, Mr. D'Antonio, do you understand what's happened to you? And I said, yeah, I had a few strokes. <laughs> I said, but I'm going to fix it. And the re reason I knew I could fix it was because during the coma, uh, I worked out a plan. I figured out how to heal my brain. Uh, and I went um, in that rehab hospital. I went from being uh, a blind quadriplegic to walking out of that hospital less than two, two and a half weeks later. And two and a half see. weeks. Yeah, I got out on July third, and I spent July fourth at my sister's house. I walked at my sister's house down into her backyard on gravel and sat down and watched fireworks. Okay, and I got there June fifteenth, and wow. the reason was because um, I 
I learned in the coma, I figured out how to access those spare parts. And I've since helped other people with this. I've talked to them about it. You know, I, I was actually, you know, this is, I know it sounds self-serving because it hasn't happened yet, but I was nominated to do a TED talk about this because I healed my brain in such a short time. And, and my cardiothoracic surgeon, he's, he's totally with me on this. And he wrote me a long letter supporting all this saying, yeah, you know, you figured out how to get at the, the, the spare parts, as I had called them, to, in the brain. Um, and many people don't, and they don't ever recover. I said, yeah, but it's not too late. You know, I don't think it's too late. I think this is something we can always do. It's just that, well, the incident, while it's still fresh in our minds, and it's still a... a, a uh, an assault on our, our, our future saying, you know, you're never going to walk again or you're never going to be able to see again. That's when you have to have that desperation to call this up and call in those spare parts and rewire your brain. And, and rewiring the brain is, I think, what I did. You know? Wow. Because I, uh, I know that the brain can do pretty amazing things. Yeah. Um, you know, I had uh, I had a, a stepchild that was basically missing. She had agenesis of the coarsal callosum, so she was basically missing the center part of her brain. The corpus and, callosum, yeah, that's the part that that's the uh, that's the basically the fabric that connects the left and right hemispheres together. Yes, uh, and she ended up being able to. They ended up jumping. Uh, she was able to actually put her hands together and things like that. Yeah. So it really, it really is quite amazing. Um, I wanted to just also, uh, th this is really amazing, Mark. And I, I, I don't know if you're willing to talk about um, your, I don't know if it was a hallucination or whatever you had, but, uh, but I'll get to that in just a minute because I, I, I did want to point out something also that I'm grateful for, and then we'll move on sure. uh, with that. And that's, uh, First of all, all the listeners to my show, I mean, not all the listeners, but lots and lots of listeners. I had so much support from everybody. You can't believe how many so emails, cool. texts, and Facebook and everything people were sending me. And, uh, and you know, people would go to the conferences I was supposed to be at, and they would be talking there. And next thing you know, I'd hear from someone there and stuff like that. Yeah. And also, uh, I want to do a shout out to my sister, Buffy. Uh she came out from Washington State and took care of me. She's uh -huh. a uh, retired nurse and uh, was a nurse for a long time. And I'm telling you, boy, she came out and took such great care of me. Uh, I owe her so much. You know, I mean, it was just amazing. And she got my whole place in shape, too. Got everything all settled here. And and uh, it was, uh, you know, when you have people that are close to you that, take care of you like that it means so much it means so much it's, to me you know it's true yeah it's true so you got to your sisters for fireworks that's good i want to ask you though are you like a medical miracle because they said this wasn't going to happen i i i don't know if i would say that i i know that i did um i did teach them some new things um, the eye doctor at the hospital for special care was blown away when he met me on the 15th or 16th, rather the morning of the 16th and said, well, you're, you're quite blind. Your, your CAT scan shows uh, irreparable damage to your visual cortex. Um, and, um, 
I told him, well, I'm going to fix that. And he's like, I don't know how you can fix it. I said, it's, I came up with it during the coma, doc. I said, I'm going to train the brain with pain. Okay. Cause using my eyes, looking at trying to make my eyes look at something on a screen, I can feel the heat of the screen, which is something I could never feel before the LCD screen. I could feel that heat. And if it was playing some kind of show, I know there's something going on. My brain is struggling to make sense of the eyes that are functioning and sending signals to it. But those signals are dead ending in a part of the brain that no longer functions. So if you can make them um, uh, get punished enough, the brain, which has evolved to keep the organism, you, out of danger, the brain will find a way around the pain. And that way around the pain for many people is just just look away or, just, or close their eyes and, and block their eyes so they don't have to watch. Well, I couldn't move. I couldn't mm. turn my head away. Mm. So, And I, I could close my eyes, but I wasn't going to because that pain that I felt, I, it translated to migraine headaches. My eyes were tearing up from the pain. I passed out uh, several times because of the pain. And when I... I was looking at the screen. My brain was getting these signals, couldn't make sense of them. So it was trying to do something with them. And it was, it was, I could literally imagine my brain going, stop, stop, stop. And then it says, okay, I got to figure something out. And then it figures a workaround. That workaround, by the way, is instant. It's mm. instant. It's not slow motion. It's instant. So in an instant, I went from seeing nothing, and we'll define what nothing is, to seeing an outline of a screen with shadows, just like that, bam. And that mm. was because my brain said, enough is enough. I've got to do something with these signals. And it found a way around it because the brain is trying to you know, do what brains do, keep the organism out of danger and out of pain. It's like you trying to hold your hand, hold that finger in a candle flame. Let's see how long you can hold that finger in the candle flame. You put it in, ow, it pulls away. Is that you consciously pulling your finger out? Oh, no, it's not. It's the primitive brain saying, away with the danger. Hmm. Extract yourself from that situation that's dangerous to me. Hmm. Well, in the same way, you're torturing the brain. You're making it have uh, a discomfort, and that discomfort has to be dealt with. So... I forced myself to watch a screen I couldn't see until I could. And once I saw the shadows, I knew I was going to be able to see again. And um, I went back to the eye doctor two days after that first meeting, and I asked him to put up the eye chart. And he, very nice guy, very, very well-versed guy, Dr. Shafiq in the Britain is his name, at the uh, Hospital for Special Care. He's there uh, several days a week. And... Um, I said, put up the eye chart, please. Could you? And he went, uh, yeah, uh, eye chart? You know, because I'm blind. And I said, yeah, yeah, the eye chart. And he puts up the eye chart. And he turns on the, that white background. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a big letter in there. I couldn't see the letter. I just saw like a black haze in the middle. But I saw the white square. And I said, oh, you just turned it on. He says, you see that? You see that? I go, yeah, I, I see it. How, how, how are you seeing that? What, what are you doing? And I explained to him the, the, the training the brain with pain thing. And he's like, well, that doesn't, that doesn't work. I said, I can see it, can't I? 
And he goes, yeah, and I'll, I'll see you in a couple of days. And, uh, he goes, I look forward to seeing what you can see then. Well, two days came, and I had been watching Netflix um, for, oh, gosh, probably 20 hours straight. Because when you can't see and you get a, you get a, a result like that, the first thing you do is say, I'm going to see. I'm going to make sure I can see. And you're going to stick to it. You're going to know that every bit of that pain you feel is a, a healing pain. It's pain to fix you. Um, it doesn't work for everything, obviously. It works for these kinds of things. What about well, movement? Um, you know, I mean, Yeah, I had to get my eyes back first. Yeah. Okay, so my eyes came back, and, and what I did was I was looking at the screen, and it wasn't long before I could recognize Jerry Seinfeld versus Kramer. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Basically, by the size difference, I could tell the difference, and I could see kind of the fuzziness the near hair. the top of Yeah. Head. yeah. <laughs> okay, and that's how I knew. And I hate Seinfeld, but um, you know what? <laughs> I was okay with seeing it because it meant I could see the word S E E was in there, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> so when I went back in, he put up the eye chart, and I read the top line. It was mm. A P E O T F. You never forget your first eye chart reading after you're blind. A <laughs> P E O T F. Mm. And uh, he was astonished. <laughs> he, read, he was making noises like a little school kid. Like, oh my, how do you see that? How do you see it? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> just, wow. You can see that. And I go, yeah. And I told him what I did. I said, look, this is what I did. And you should teach this to people. Okay. When they've had uh, this kind of assault on their bodies, they can recover if they train the brain to use alternate pathways. I said, I believe in the plastic brain. And he basically said something like, well, I think I do too, you know? And, um, and the site only got better from there. Now, as far as my hands, I had the nurse put a ball in my hands and it now I had the benefit if you call it that of whenever anyone touched me, it felt like liquid fire. Okay. And put a ball in my hand and squeeze my hand around. It felt like lava. Okay. Just holding my hand, if someone grabbed my hand and held it, those where those fingers touched my hand, it felt like molten lava. Now, it burned and felt so uh, devastatingly painful that you tend to want to let go of whatever it was that was causing you to have that happen. So I ended up um, uh, wanting to let go of the ball, but I, 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 I let the nurse hold my hand upright. And her name was Linda Hunter, wonderful nurse. And she held my hand upright and she said, Mr. Scruffy, I don't think I hadn't shaved in a while. So they called me Mr. Scruffy. I don't think that that's a good idea. Yeah, it's, it's hurting you. I go, I know, Linda, but this is what I need. This is what's going to tell the brain. It's got to do something about it. Okay. So right at this point, she's holding my hand closed because I can't control my fingers or anything. And the ball's in my hand. And I, I guess while the ball was in my hand, I think I passed out from the pain. Hmm. Um, I never knew what that was. Pass out from the pain. What does that mean? Uh, it means your senses, your brain gets overloaded so much that it just reboots. It shuts down. And it really does happen. Hmm. And I now know what that's like. Well, I was holding the ball like this. And when I put, the, when, when I seemingly passed out, she may have thought I fell asleep. So she just left, you know, and left the ball in my hand. And when she came back in and woke me up for vitals every six seconds, as they do, Yes. Okay. Um, my hand was sideways and the ball was in my lap on top of the bedspread. And I said, Oh, it must have been an unconscious twitch or something, Linda. Can you put it back in my hand? She goes, Yes, okay, Miss Scruffy. She puts it back in my hand, closes around. It's burning like hell. And my hand goes like this. Ah, 
like fingers open and a ball just fa it goes ah and flips out. And I and she goes, Oh, Mr. Scruffy, did you do that? I went, Yeah, I did, Linda. I said, So congratulate congratulate me. Now I'm a paraplegic, not a quadriplegic. Huh? And she goes, Oh my god. I go, Yeah, little victories. And that led to the wrist movement that led to the elbow, led to the shoulder. And then the ball in this hand led to this hand and this shoulder. And then the shoulders led to the torso, which led to the hips. And then it could push my feet down to the bottom of the bed where they were pressing against the bottom of the bed. And that burned like you can't imagine. And that led to my feet coming back. Okay. Same thing on the other side. So um, it was the, the, the pain. I used pain. Um, to to actually as a healing measure. Most people want a pill for the pain. In this particular case, that pain is the best thing you can have because that pain signals that it's trying to fix itself. And you don't want to thwart that. You want to actually push through that. Jeez, you know, this is incredible. Terrible. Oh, it was a terrible pain. Yeah, I, I never yeah. knew this. So all the times we talked, I've never knew this um, part of it. It's yeah. really quite amazing. I mean, it sure sounds like a miracle to me. Uh, you're curing yourself basically of something that people could be strapped with the rest of their lives, really. Well, you know, I, but, but see, everybody can do this. And uh, I got a call from a, a, a guy in the Midwest. He was a doctor and uh, he'd had a stroke. So his wife called me and, and said, my husband had a stroke. We have a practice and we're in danger of losing our practice. And I was home by then. I said, oh, how long? I said, I'm not a doctor, but I can share how I got better. Maybe that'll help him. And I go, and she goes, okay. And I go, well, how long has he had the stroke? When was it? Oh, he had it like four months, three months ago, four months ago. Hmm. Okay. So what's his condition now? Well, his hands are all postured up and he can't move them. And uh, I said, can he see? Yes, he can see just fine. Can he talk? Yes, he can talk. But his hands are, are stroked. He goes, yeah, he has movement issues and his hands are in a, in a difficult uh, position. They're all like this, you know. Um, and I said, okay, um, I can only offer you. I, I told her what I did with the with the pain. And she said, yeah, he doesn't feel any pain. He doesn't feel anything, actually. Hmm. Well, we can try something. Um, does he trust you? Well, of course he does. Okay. Uh, I have an idea. Again, I'm not a doctor. But the thing that the brain reacts to is pain and the other thing it reacts to is fear, hmm. pain and fear. Those two things are what have helped evolve the brain to keep the organism out of danger, I told her. So how about this? Can his hands be pulled down? Yeah, they can be pulled down, but they just sort of go back. I said, okay, you pull them down and put a book on them, whatever you have to do to hold them down, the hand, and then take a needle. And tell him, I'm not sure, honey, I might stick you, but I'm going to walk. And I call it the walk. Walk his fingers with that needle and, and touch the tip so he can see the needle touching the tip. He'll see that? Yes, he will. Okay. Don't tell him you won't stick him. Let him think you might. The brain has to think it's in danger for this to work. I know it's a rotten thing to sound like I'm saying, right? But, um, you know, I said, try the walk on his fingers and, and give it some time. And he might find that his brain says, I can't handle this anymore. I can't be, that's a very sensitive area. I don't want you sticking my fingers mm. with a needle and his hands might come back. 
Yeah, I said I can't promise it, of course, but it's the it's the one thing that appeals to the primitive brain. And she says, okay, I'll try it. And I didn't hear from the guy for six weeks. Well, I was streaming from the observatory. If we're going to stream tonight, actually, after we talk, um, mm-hmm. I'm going to stream. We're going to stream Mars going behind the moon tonight. On Occultation. 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 Yeah, yeah. occultation to Mars by the moon, yeah. And that'll be Sky Tour live stream on YouTube, right? Well, um, I was streaming uh, with my observatory, and uh, in the chat, somebody writes in the chat, and it was Amanda Curran at the time, who was uh, my co-host. She said, she said, Mark, there's a doctor from Texas who's in the chat. I went, oh, okay. So I said, oh, hello, Doc. How are you? Fine, he said. And he writes in all caps, everything you said came true. What? Everything you said. He says, it's me. My wife talked to you. Whoa, are you typing this? Yes, I am. <laughs> huh. he, he wrote, I got my life back. Now that wow. Wow. made my night. Oh, my God, yes. Made my night. Yeah. You know, so since then, another person had had a stroke and was having balance issues. And I told him about what I felt might be a good way. Again, appeal to the fear or pain side of the brain. Okay, use it to heal. And I said, can you stand on two feet and stand up tall on your balls of your feet? Oh, no, I might fall. Do it. Hmm. But hold on to a counter and then let go of the counter. Okay, even if you're leaning against the counter, let go. Let your brain think that it might fall. Okay? And your brain will snap into overdrive. And it could probably help fix you. Again, I'm no neurologist, but I can tell you this. We're going, we're treading where no neurologist has ever tread. Hmm. Not like this. Hmm. And um, so he said, All right, I'll try it. And he tried it. And um, I talked to him some weeks later, and I was talking about this with someone else. And he pipes in, yeah, it, it got my balance back. I'm like, really? You got your balance? You never shared that with me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it, it worked. It worked. I got my balance back really quick, actually. So... Wow. It works. You know, it's a technique. Again, pain and fear. I'm not saying if you you have balance issues, go stand at the top of the stairs and, ooh, yeah, that's nutty. Now, is uh, this – oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, but yeah. you have safety measures in place, obviously. Yeah. You don't want to be crazy, right? Right. Now, was this – before you had this situation happen, had you looked into this stuff or heard about it or read about it? Uh, how did you know that you were going to – be able to fix yourself, basically. <clears throat> well, um, there was a three and a half hour time period that my heart was stopped, and in that three and a half hours, um, I was ripped out of my body. A science guy here, okay, and taken to New Mexico by Native Americans. Okay, my mother was Native American and Irish, and um, they said they were ancestors. So I was like, okay, whatever. And it was a three and a half hour journey. I remember every second of it to this day. Okay, and the so bottom had, line, you had like a sort of like an outer body type thing. That's how it was. It? That's how it was portrayed. Yes, and um, basically, um, I ended up going to. Um, Whoops, sorry. That's all right. That's, that's what I meant. I'm to still do. here. Yeah. Um, they took me to New Mexico, and in in this in this situation, I ended up in the Mexican desert, and it was a beautiful sunset which gradually, I'm, I'm in the interest of time, I am literally cutting it down to nothing. Um, it ended up becoming a dreary, dismal gray 
seen because something black and amorphous was covering the sun. And they were very frantic. It was a male and female. The kid is the only one they saw. He knew his face. He could see it now. He could draw him. Okay. And the female was out of shot. She was always over here. You know, right? She never came in enough to see. She was always over here. And I couldn't move to look at her. I, had, I was only facing straight ahead. Okay. And so, uh, <clears throat> again, it's just the way it was. And so then uh, she said something in Navajo. And I knew it was Navajo somehow. And the kid said, okay, I, I agree with that. And he put a gun in my lap, hmm? uh, a big handgun. It was a big stainless steel silver handgun. And I'm sitting there going, what the hell am I supposed to do with that? He goes, you're going to use it. I said, very funny. I can't even move. How the hell am I supposed to use that, you piece of beep? You know, I was swearing to these kids. I was just really, really terrible to them, I can tell you right now. And he says, and she says something uh, in Navajo, and he says, yeah, I agree. What? What'd she say? She said, you're thick. She goes, you're, he says, you're thick. This is symbology, okay? The gun is a symbol, right? You don't actually have to use it. You're going to use it, but you're, you're going to use it, okay, our way, or whatever that means. Uh, and then that black amorphous thing now was getting bigger and bigger and covering the sun even more. And she said something like, okay, now – to him and he says okay she says shoot it now how am i supposed to do that it, again just imagine that you're holding it and use your eyes i know you can't look at the sun look at you with the eyes it was right at the extreme left of my vision and and imagine you're shooting it and i went jesus i feel like such an idiot okay bang bang and two things fell off of it <laughs> what two black things came away i went what the heck happened there and i went and basically, they were frantic. They said, it's coming all the way until we got to that spot in, in the desert. Okay. They said, it's coming. We got to do this right now. And then she said, shoot now, shoot now. And so I went bang, 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 bang. And I kept doing that. And more stuff keep falling away. And now I'm intrigued. Okay. Because now I'm seeing something that's responding, a physical thing responding to my words that shouldn't possibly be able to happen. So I'm intrigued by this. So I keep saying bang, 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 and it just falls away until finally the sun is out again and the black thing is gone. And the New Mexican sunset is beautiful, red clouds illuminated on the horizon. It was stunning. And this is the the kid comes over now, and it's the first time I saw that he had teeth. Okay, big grin with teeth that were like too big for his face, it seemed. <laughs> he puts his arm around me, he says, You are gonna be all right. You know that, don't you? And I went, Yeah, okay, I guess I do. All right. And then they started walking away, leaving me in the desert. And I go, hey, what the hell are you doing? I'm supposed to be in surgery. Aren't you going to take me back? And again, she says something in Navajo again. And the kid laughs this time because he didn't laugh before. And he looks at me and he goes, you really are thick, aren't you? He goes, you never left. What? Mm. Boom. Back in the hospital in the coma now. And I knew at that point that I was going to be fine. I just had to work out the mechanism. Now, when the doctor came in, he said to me, you know, he, and this is what he said. He goes, you know, we, we did the surgery and you didn't wake up because I told him he promised to be straight with me. Remember? Okay. We agreed. He would tell me everything. He says, we did the surgery. You didn't wake up. It's good that you woke up now. Can you understand me? You know, blink once for yes, twice for no. And I blinked once. Okay. And he says, you in any pain? 
And I blinked SOS, dot, 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 dash, 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 dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and he laughed. He got it. And he said, oh, he blinked SOS. And everybody, I heard all this laughing. It's like, what the hell is that for? Because <laughs> it was a cognitive clue. I didn't realize they were looking for that. Okay, mm-hmm. cognitively, I was still there. So um, he says, okay, here's what happened. We did the surgery, but there was a clot uh, in the pulmonary uh, area. It got loose from us, um, and it went to the brain. He says, so uh, you you have to understand that the only reason you're here is because, you know, and call it a blessing, call it a curse. Um, the only reason you're here is because for some reason when it got to the brain, it blew up into a million pieces. And that saved your life. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. That was to me. And I knew what that you're was. Shooting, you're shooting them at the gun. I was shooting the clot. That's, <laughs> well, you know. That's kind of what you would think of there, right? That's what you'd think about it. Mm. And so it was like, holy cow. And, of course, I had a trach at that point. All he heard was, shh, 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 shh. Yeah. <laughs> He couldn't hear me saying, I know what that is. I know what that is. <laughs> wow. so, so, yeah, so that's pretty interesting, you know, uh, how that occurred. And Yeah. And so then um, I, uh, I got out of the rehab hospital, like I said, uh, just two and a half weeks later. Now, wait a minute. I, was did you have to do the same thing with talking? Pardon me for interrupting. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't. I couldn't talk, and um, I had to learn how to talk again too. Yeah. And uh, I started saying vocabulary words to the point where the guy in the room with me said that I wouldn't shut up. I kept talking and saying gibberish. He said, and I was. It was gibberish hmm. to me. I was trying to say there's a brown fox jumping over the lazy dog, but it came out. Okay, so that's not working. So I had to, I had to work it out, you know. So I asked the nurse for a mirror. Now remember, I got my eyes a little bit back. I got my my hands and my legs a little bit. So now I have a mirror in front of me, and I'm watching my face, and I'm watching what I say, and I'm watching me say, the brown fox. Okay, the what's that? What's that? No brown brown and i would squeeze my cheeks as best i could it's sort of awkward and i said the brown 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 and i would just say words over and over and my brain was going i remember that okay i remember that and then boom i never had to work on it again brown i had brown okay and i went through a lot of vocabulary words and they Help me with other words I didn't even say. You know, they it, 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 the crossover was amazing. Um, and then I uh, I ended up. Uh, oh, let's see. The the last word I worked on was believe it or not the word words, W O R D S. <laughs> I couldn't say it. It was coming out with, withs, mm. withs. So I watched my face with 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 words brown words i was just doing that kind of silly stuff mm-hmm. and i went okay uh words oh that was it it was like a bing and then from that point forward my brain said words you know mm-hmm. it, it's like it just had to Amazing. remember it once and then it got it so <clears throat> that's that's how the brain actually works and um i've had several people tell me that this has helped them as i said and so it's um it's amazing. So two and a half weeks after I got to the rehab hospital, there was no eight to 10 weeks. There was no one to two years. It was only three months later in September that I was in Irvine, California, flew there myself, 
walking through the hotel and I did my talk. I just Amazing. had to have a lot of water available. That's all. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, but see, again, it's, it's something we all can do. It's not just me. It's not Mark D'Antonio. This is humans. We can all do this. Our brain can do it. Wow. Under certain circumstances, right? Yeah. 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 Well, I think, uh, I think this has been a great evening. That is a fantastic story. And uh, thank you so much for sharing that with all of us. It's well, I'm really just quite so happy you're still here. Yeah. What, I have to turn this way, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm really <laughs> happy you're that. still here. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. No, I, I am too. I, I feel like uh, the new lease on life, as they say. And, yeah. uh, you know, modern medicine is quite something. Uh, and you know what? I bet you, you might be like this too. Um, maybe not. I'm not sure. Um, for me, they wouldn't let me have any water and, or any ice chips. Not even an ice chip. I wanted an ice Ooh. chip. I wanted just an ice chip. And they wouldn't let me have it because of a choking hazard, because of trach and, and oh water. yeah, yeah. Uh, so when I got my first ice chip, it was like heaven. Sure, I, I can imagine. And a little tiny sponge on a plastic stick. The water tasted oh, like yeah. plastic, but it was okay. It's like water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Oh. when I had my first glass of ice water, I savored a silly glass of ice water. <laughs> I looked at the ice cubes. Wow. And I drank it. People looking at me like, that guy's on something. I want what he's got, you know? I want what he's on. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But it wasn't that way at all, was it? It's just a matter of the fact that we just learn to appreciate some things better than others because they were always there. We took them for granted. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, when you go through this experience, you learn not to take. I mean, I feel there's some part of every day so far that I've felt really grateful because I know that I could so easily not be here. So yeah, and I have no. way too much to do. No, way yeah. too much to do. Dirk in the chat says, glad you're both here. Yeah. Thank you, Dirk. I, I Thank certainly uh, agree with you. I'm glad that Martin's here with us. Ta-da. Yeah. <laughs> He's the man. All right, Mark. Well, you take care. All right. Well, it's great to see you. Thanks for yes. uh, doing this show. It was really cool. It was fun. I'm glad. Yeah. And I think it was you that brought it up. Why don't we do a show about this? It might have been. I think it was I you. Did. It was a couple yeah. months ago, I think. Yeah, we talked about that's it. right. Yeah. Right after. All right, everyone. So thank you so much for uh, watching. And uh, and I'll be back with another uh, Everything Else show when I think of a topic I want to talk about. And uh, Mark, you're going right into your live stream. Why don't you put that website uh, channel out there, the YouTube channel out there so people can yeah, I wish I it. wish I could, but it's just not. Um, I I I'd have to log in, and if I log in, it's gonna oh, yeah. take me away from the screen. Then we're gone. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, I can I can actually just uh, I show real quick, you know, um, if you rather. I mean, I just show. Um, give me a second here. You could do a screenshot. I might be able to do. Let's see. Is it this one? Yeah. There we go. All right. Hold on. So right now, I have the, the telescope is open. Okay, and if you could bring that up, yeah. Well, this is yeah. this is our live view right now that we're looking at. This is a live um, view. Live view. Yeah, this is a planetary nebula, helix nebula. It's called. Wow. Um, it's. Um, this is really cool. Yeah, this is an exposure. I just uh, it's still underway. Uh, so far, it's been going for uh, basically forty-five minutes the whole time we were on. I just figured I'd go to an object and check it out. The full moon's out, so it's a little bit. Um, 
Well, it's bright. easy. Yeah. Yeah, but as you can see, we have filters to help us with that. Hmm. Uh, we got all kinds of satellites that are going through, lots of star links. Right. But you know what? This is really cool. This is uh, what we're doing. But tonight we're going to be looking at the moon because uh, it's going to occult or go in front of the planet Mars. That's and right. uh, we're going to have some fun with that. And that starts in just uh, 10 minutes. Oh, here. All right, Mark. No problem. I'm already up. See, I'm up and running. We're good. Thanks, All right. Man. All right. You take care. Thanks so much. All right, Martin. Thank you so much. Good to see you. You bet. Bye, okay. everybody. Bye, everyone. <laughs>